We are in week five of the Heads or Tails series, and we've covered all kinds of stuff um, based on Deuteronomy 28.13, and we are just knocking down a misconception about Christianity, and we are bringing ourselves into, I believe, the fullness of who we can be as Christians. And so, man, we've talked about a bunch of stuff. Last week, we talked about the authority of the believer, about having the capacity to be given authority from God to overcome all kinds of different things. And uh, our series has been based on Deuteronomy 28.13, and Seth is going to throw that up on the screen. Deuteronomy 28.13 says this, The Lord will make you the head, not the tail. If you pay attention to the commands of the Lord your God that I give you this day and carefully follow them, you will always be at the top, never at the bottom. So the promise here to the nation of Israel is you will be the head. You will be the one making the decisions. You will be the one leading the way. You won't be dragged along by other people who have their decisions about what your life should be like. You will be the head. You will be the one in charge. You will be on top, not on the bottom. Of course, I'm not sure that that's the common understanding of what it means to be a good Christian. How many people know what the most important thing, in general, not here, what the most important thing to do in church is? No, no. I'm, I... See, you're giving good answers. You're messing me up completely. Practically speaking, what's the most important thing? Meaning the thing that you think about the most in church What do you think about the most? Being quiet. Exactly. The thing that people focus on the most in church is being quiet. Keeping their kids quiet. Keeping their spouses awake and quiet. (laughs) Both. Because then when they fall asleep and you poke them, they make noises when they wake up. Otherwise it'd be fine or they'll snore, you know. It's all kinds of terrible things. So, being quiet is viewed as a fundamental part of being a Christian. And this spills over into the whole turn the other cheek, which, hey, is, is it good to turn the other cheek from time to time? Yes, we talked about that at length weeks in weeks past. But people can get the under the impression that the essence of being a Christian is just being quiet and then... Letting people do whatever to you they want and just forgiving them and, I mean, just sit quiet and take whatever abuse is handed out. Right? Isn't that kind of like a big part of Christianity? Just shut up and take it. Just, hey, you're supposed to forgive and forget. You're supposed to submit to authority. You're supposed to just... Deal with it. So be quiet and take it. Do that at work. Do that at home. Do that at church. You're a good Christian. Is that true? No. We are called to be more than conquerors. We are called to overcome. We are called to walk in faith 
in the power of God and see miracles. That is what it means to be a Christian. It doesn't mean we're supposed to just sit by and get beat up by the world. That's not what it means. So we've covered all these things about being the head and not the tail. This week, we're going to talk about being a man and being the spiritual head of the home. We're going to talk about manliness. Now let me ask you this question. If it is a predominant perspective that being a Christian means just keep your mouth shut and take whatever abuse is handed your way, just let people walk on you, just don't let anything bother you, but just take it, is that going to be attractive to men? Are men going to be like, yeah, sign me up. I want to be made fun of and just let it go. I want to be taken advantage of and go, would you want to take advantage of me again? Yeah, come on, let me in. Is it a wonder that very few men come to church? Trinette and I, mostly Trinette, did some statistics. <laughs> I, I think I asked her to do it. I, <laughs> I had some part in it, I'm sure. Um, But of the families that come to church, of the couples that come to church, of the adults that come to church, 56% of those groups that come to Good Hope come without the men. 56% come without the men. The wife comes... The man doesn't come. This, that, the other thing. For whatever reason, 56%. Now, it's going to be a percentage, right? But should it be a majority? Ooh, we got ourselves an issue. We got ourselves a problem. All right. We're going to talk about manliness and being the spiritual head of the home, but first... I have an answer to this question that I'm going to share with you. And uh, so this is a rhetorical question. Uh, What do I think is the main reason for the decline of Christianity over the last 50 years? What is it? Would you agree that Christianity has declined over the last 50 years? Why? What's the reason? What is this? I wrote down some options, um, but I'm going to reject these. And then I'm going to suppose another one. Is it the loss of prayer in schools? That was about 50 years ago. used to pray in school. People used to read the Bible in school. How about abortion? Thankfully, that was four years after I was born that abortion became legal, because I probably wouldn't be here. I'm very glad to be here. Um, How about liberal politics? Feminism? Gay rights? (laughs) TV? (laughs) TV is a 
TV is a great one. That was, I'm thinking 50 years ago. Remember my favorite Martian? Oh, I love that show. That was a long time ago, man. I was just a little bitty guy, black and white. I'm older than you think. I'm just young mentally. Uh, how about the, how about just the overall sin in the culture? That culture's sliding into sin. It's ruining the church. Remember we talked about that before. Jesus said, on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Can a sinful culture overcome the church? No! It doesn't have that power. The gates of hell will not overcome the church that Jesus is building. So why this decline? Here's the answer I will submit to you. The reason the church has declined over the past 50 years is because of the spiritual immaturity of the men of the faith. The spiritual immaturity of the men of the faith. Now, I think that's a little embarrassing, being a man of the faith. Of course, it's not universal. There are some strong men of the faith. But it isn't the norm. And again, 56% of the groups come to Good Hope without the men. That's a lot. But seriously, do we expect men to come when the culture is just shut up and take whatever abuse and like it? They're not going to connect with that. (laughs) And I would submit to you that they should not connect with that because that is a distortion of the gospel. That is not what God is about. That is a confusion. It is a distortion. All right. So, the good news is that that perspective is a lie. Because seriously, I mean really, how many times have you heard religion is for women and children? How many times have you heard that? That's because kind of the culture of religion is just emasculating. You know, sit there, be quiet, be good. I don't really like to sing. What am I supposed to do? You know, it, it just it doesn't connect with men. I'm going to try to connect it today. By the way, we're worshiping, not singing. Just... Just letting you know that. I'm going to bring that up later because I think worship is vitally important. But, boy, let's take this repulsive, emasculating lie of what religion is and let's get rid of it. Let's chuck it because we need strong men in Christianity. We need overcoming Strong men in the faith. Amen? Amen. How many people have yearned for strong men in the churches they've been in before? Amen? Amen. You remember Deborah in the Old Testament? Remember her? She was, she was a warrior. She was one of the judges. She went to war and she was on the front. You know, back then the generals would, would ride out first and they would go to battle and a girl did that. 
And then there's a song, Deborah's song. And you, you can look that up. And you know what the song starts with? This victory song of how they won and their champions. Her song starts with, when will the men step up? I gotta, you know, she's basically saying, I've gotta go to war for the men? That's ridiculous. Do, do we as men really wanna just step aside and let the kingdom of God go when we have a calling and a purpose in the midst of it? We don't want that. All right, let's read the second verse of the day. Ephesians 5.25. This might make you quiet. Maybe not. We'll find out. Throw it up there. We're going to discuss a common misperception of this verse, um, but... I really think this is important. Ephesians 5.23 For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. The husband is the head of the wife. Is that a popular verse to preach on nowadays? Probably not. (laughs) Because it's... I'll let that go. <clears throat> a long time ago, in, in preaching class, I think I, I heard this phrase. They said, if you find yourself in a hole, quit digging. <laughs> Just simple. Stop, start something else. You'll be fine. So that's what I'm going to do. All right. The husband is the head of the wife. The husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. Remember when we talked about a false Heads, like we are all to submit ourselves to Christ. Men and women. Men, you are to submit yourself to Christ. Ladies, you are to submit yourself to Christ. When we submit ourselves to Christ, when we bow our knee and worship the Lord and give our life to Him, does that make us the tail? Does it squash us and make us less? Or does He lift us up and make us a head too? The promise in Deuteronomy is that if we submit ourselves to God, He will make us the head, not the tail. We'll always be on top and not on the bottom. When we submit ourselves to addictions, they crush us. When we submit ourselves to covetousness and pile up a bunch of debt, all of a sudden, oh man, we're, we're the tail. Finances are dragging us around. When we submit ourselves to wanting everybody to like us and and make sure we're managing our perce- the perceptions other people have of us, we're always serving that and it, it pushes us down. But when we submit ourselves to Christ, He lifts us up. If the husband is to be the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, if the wife submits herself to the husband, does that push her down? No. That's, that's the rub right there. Christ lifts us up. I am happy to submit my life to Christ because He doesn't want to hurt me. He loves me and He knows what's best for me and He lifts me up. And the husband should be the same way. This verse that we read, the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. 
Should I say it in a shocking way? You want to, you want to hear this in a shocking way? Just because the Bible says it doesn't mean it's true. Just because the Bible says it doesn't mean it's true. This is not a description of reality. This is a command of how we're supposed to behave. The Apostle Paul is not describing relationship dynamics when he says the, the husband is the head of the wife. He's saying how it should be, not how it is. What, it, what this doesn't mean is that God has given the man the right to do whatever he wants and be however abusive he wants to be and cause whatever problems he wants to cause. What this verse means is the husband is the Jesus of the family. The husband is the Jesus of the wife. The husband is the Jesus of the kids. Does Jesus push you down? Does Jesus speak evil over you? No! This does not mean that the man can sin against his wife and family with impunity. That is a profound distortion of the truth. What this means is, is that the man is called to be the Jesus of his family. That as Christ is the head over us, the man is to be the head over his family, over his wife, over his children. It's a calling. Let me tell you something about callings. We will be judged by God. We will stand before God and give an account as to how well we fulfilled our calling. We will not give an account as to how well we fulfilled what we chose to do. For example, if God calls me to be a missionary in China, but instead I start a business in New York, when I stand before God, He's going to quiz me on the missions work in China, not on the business in New York. Do you understand this? So if God says to me, go to China, and instead I go to New York, when it's my day to stand before the Lord, He'll ask me about China. Men, we are called to be the Jesus of the home. We are called to be the head of the wife, like Christ is the head of the church. We will give an account for that. If you're just like, well, you know, I don't really know much about God, I kind of let my wife handle that. You will be held accountable to how well you led your family in spiritual matters. Because you're called to that. Even if you abdicate it, it doesn't matter. You'll stand before God because you're called to it. Because the husband is the head of the wife. Is that exciting to you? <laughs> it's good to know the truth, isn't it? It's very important. Very. <sighs> Guys, did you know you'll be held accountable for how you raised 
your children even if you never meet them. You will be held accountable to the type of father you were to a child you never met. How's that going to go? All right, I'm going to no longer belabor that point. I think it was made clearly. Men are not stepping up like they should. What's the solution? I asked God about that this morning and He completely wrecked my sermon. (laughs) Don't you hate that? I had all this whole plan, you know. And I tell you what, I am a king procrastinator. You want to know, you want to know a king procrastinator. I got skills, you know. I learned in school. I did a paper one time early, got a C minus. I took it, I got the, like, the teacher wrote marks on it, I refixed it, C minus. I'm like, I was getting the B's before, why would I do it early? So I used to do my papers the night before. But then that was not enough pressure, I couldn't, I couldn't get the adrenaline going, so I started doing my papers the day of. And uh, that was awesome. So usually I get up at 4 o'clock on Sunday and prepare for Sunday morning, you know? Because uh, the adrenaline's pumping, you're just like, Lord, you gotta give me something. This church is showing up. <laughs> Desperation is a good place to be, you know. When you're just crying out to God, please, you gotta help me. Um, it's good, but then you do that, and it's like that's not what I was thinking you were gonna say. You know, it's different. And so this morning, it's going a little bit different direction than what I had planned. What I believe the Lord showed me to share with you guys today is a oversimplified solution to this problem and then three things that men need to deal with. Are you ready for the over, oversimplified solution? Here's the oversimplified solution. Men, I need you to take Sunday morning back. You hear me? Men, I need you to take Sunday morning back. Ladies, got they got their women's meeting. The teens have their youth group. When do the men meet? The men meet on Sunday morning. Now, we're secure enough in ourselves that we let the ladies come. The ladies can't let us come for whatever reason. We're secure enough in ourselves that... The, Teenagers can come. They don't let us come. We have our meeting on Sunday morning. Men, I need you to take Sunday morning back. Why doesn't that work? (laughs) What's the issues behind that? What do we need to deal with in order to have success with that? And we are going to look at three important pieces of a man and how they're warped and distorted. We're going to try to take that warped distortion and bring it into the wholeness of Christ in 15 minutes. Are we going to get there? I believe in miracles. 
But, uh, but my guess is, guys, you're going to have some homework. You're going to have to do more than sit and listen for a few minutes. You're going to have some homework. Because seriously, if we don't turn this man thing around, the faith is going to continue to decline. Because the men, man, we have a place. We have a position. Did you know if, uh, I don't remember the statistics exactly, but this is pretty close, from Robert Lewis of the men's fraternity thing. He, he gave these statistics. If a, if a woman gets saved and she starts coming to church, 20-some percent of the time, the family will come with her. If a kid gets saved and starts coming to church, 20-some percent of the time, the family will come with the kid. If a, a husband and father gets saved, 97% of the time, the family comes with. There's a special place that men have. Your family will come with you. So let's take Sunday morning back. All right, so let's deal with these three distortions of essential building blocks of a man. Here they are. This is the, the distorted part. We're going to try to get the real part. So, the three are lust, rage, and shame. Lust, rage, and shame. So, lust. We might say in today's world, intimacy issues. Intimacy issues. Did you know that men are often afraid of close relationships? Men are afraid of a close relationship with God. Men are afraid of close relationships with women. Men are afraid of close relationships with men. So it becomes lust. And it Works fine for a while, but then it all falls apart because that's a time bomb. Men have very few close friends. In man culture, it's dangerous to open yourself up. You guys going to watch football today? Going to watch me some football? No. <laughs> we got some. Some will. Some won't. One thing I can guarantee you today is that there will be some individuals who get hit really hard in a football game who are hurt really badly and they will not let it show. They will not let it show. What do you do, guys, when you get hurt? I'm fine. It's good. I'm fine. You do not let it show. In, in the man world, when you come into the locker room and you go, Oh, I have this wound in my life. I, uh, what happens? Whoa-bam! You just get smashed! You know, like, 
You're an idiot. And they'll slap you up. Here's another wound for you. You know, uh, it just, it's not safe to share your hurts and your feelings in man culture. We don't do that sort of thing. And so we end up with intimacy issues. And that translates to our relationship with women. It translates to our relationship with God. It, it just, it wrecks it all. We need to have a close relationship with God. Men, I need you to love God for real. And this is going to mean getting off of pornography. It just messes it up. It changes the way your brain works. You've got to get off the pornography if you're going to get over intimacy issues because you're feeding the distortion rather than finding the truth. If we're going to take Sunday morning back, men, I need you to love God for real. You know what I need? If we're going to take Sunday morning back, I need a dad worshiping God during the song service, his hands in the air, a real love of God, a real worship, and I need a six-year-old looking at that. That's taking Sunday morning back. Men, I need you to love your wives for real. Not just to cave to these other things. I need you to love your kids for real. Men, I need you to love your brothers in Christ for real. To be able to open up and have real relationships. I need that. Lust is number one. Number two is rage. <laughs> Let's talk about rage. So, if lust is the distortion, what we need is intimacy. We need intimacy with God. We need intimacy with our wives. We need that. Lust is the distortion of it. What is rage the distortion of? Do you know God calls men to be strong? We did a series on 2 Peter 1, 5-8, through 8, I believe it was. Add to your faith goodness and goodness knowledge, and it goes on like that. I looked up the word goodness. The literal Greek tra translation is the word manliness. And so I was like, well, what's that? And the root word for that word manliness is stronger for lifting. Okay, add to your faith stronger for lifting. What does that mean? That means that we're, we're supposed to man up and do the right thing. We're supposed to have the courage to do the right thing. You've got faith, great. Put some feet under it and do the right thing. Be a man about it. Men are built to be strong and in control. Rage is a primal grasping for power. When you see that slipping away, when you see people making fun of you and your place of respect is distorted and, and destroyed, you just, all right, well, let's see. And you want to fight to get that place back. Rage, it's just a primal grasping for that power. 
Rage is not strength because rage is a loss of control and strength is controlled. You know, uh, different people have different issues. I used to be addicted to rage. It, it was my favorite addiction. <laughs> it was my favorite thing. I enjoyed it tremendously. I cultivated my relationship with rage. Um, I was in sports as a kid and as a young adult, and uh, wrestling was my main sport, and I used to pretend that my opponent had killed my brother or pretend my opponent had killed my dog and just let it come up and then go to war. And I would practice. And it was fun. And I'd crank up the music, you know, like, wow, that hurts a lot. One back. And just bask in rage. I enjoyed that. And it was helpful for wrestling. It was. But it was a time bomb again, just like lust is. Because then I got saved and the enemy had a big foothold in my heart, and so I saw the inconsistencies and the hypocrisy of the church, and I just wanted to kill them all. I'm like, you people are fools. You've taken the Alpha and the Omega, made them a cartoon character. How could any rational human being believe in the garbage that you are telling them? And God is real. How can you be messing it up this bad? And it just was, this flood. Because I had cultivated that. I had built it into the core of who I was. Rage became part of me. It was a foothold the enemy had. And it took seven years and a miracle of God for me to get free from that. Man, I don't need you guys to fly off the handle, but I need you to be strong and courageous. I need you to be strong. I need you to lead. I need you to take responsibility. There is a war to fight, but the weapons are different. You know what the ultimate unbeatable weapon in the kingdom of God is? It's love. The enemy has no answer for love. Lust, rage, men are supposed to be strong. We're supposed to have close relationships. We're supposed to have intimacy with God, our wives, our family. We're supposed to be strong. We're supposed to lead. We're supposed to be respectable. Don't distort those into lust and rage. Now shame. What is shame and distortion of? Can you believe that men have problems with their self-image? We usually think about women that way. Well, they all want to look like the cover of the magazine. Show me a man who isn't ashamed of his faults, of his inabilities. Try to find one. We are profoundly impacted by our self-image. And it turns into shame very, very quickly. And 
lust and rage are the salves that we put on shame. If we can't deal with the shame, the other things are going to be very, very difficult to deal with. When I was a kid, I couldn't read. Um, I told this to the first service. I remember one time, I remember several instances, but one time specifically, I was, we are going around the room, and you got to read a sentence out loud in front of the whole room. Great, thank you. And uh, the first word was, it was a three-letter word that was completely incomprehensible. I mean, what? No, this is not a word. I looked at it, there was a T, there was an H, and there was an E. And I thought, you know, you try to sound that out, like, you know, what? That, that is not a word. This is ridiculous. What is that? I mean, why did she give me such a hard sentence? And then, you know, I looked at the teacher and she kind of smiled. I'm like, that doesn't help me, you know. And uh, so she told me the word. And so I said exactly what she said. And I didn't, you know, you know how it is. I didn't take the time to figure out what was going on. I just wanted to get past it. So then I looked at the next word and I was able to sound that one out. And then I looked at the next one and that one made sense. And there was that one again. And I had forgotten what she said. There's that T-H-E again. Oh, you've got to be kidding me. And it was profoundly embarrassing. You know, it was, but fortunately for me, I had wrestling, so I could go rip on somebody and I felt better. There was a salve I put on that shame. Guys, I need you to get comfortable with who you are. I need you to not care what other people think of you. I need you to spend some time alone with God and find out who you are. Don't look at the sports pages to see who you should be. Don't look at your neighbor's car to figure out what sort of car you should have Don't evaluate yourself through the eyes of the world. You need to just spend some time with God and find out who you are. Then you can be confident in who you are instead of ashamed that you don't measure up to everybody else. Because when you have that shame inside, you need a salve for it. God made you. He made you awesome. He made you to be a leader. He made you to be strong. He made you to have a close relationship with Him and with your wife and your kids. If we are going to take Sunday morning back, we have to become comfortable with who we are. We have to learn to be strong without distorting that into rage. And we have to learn to have intimacy with God and our families without getting caught up in lust. I'm going to invite the prayer team forward. We're going to close. The answer for shame is not lust or rage. Those just end up causing problems over time. And I mean, seriously, they can work out for a short period of time, but they're a time bomb. The answer to shame is not lust or rage. It is the blood of Christ.
all of our imperfections and failures are washed away by the blood of the Lamb. When we allow the blood of Christ to set us free, and we don't have to measure up, we don't have to look at what other people are doing and win, but we can just be, then we can be released from shame, we can learn how to be a strong, godly man, and we can learn to have close relationships. So again, God, guys, <clears throat> guys, I need you to love God for real. I need you to be strong for real. And I need you to find out who you are so you can be confident and satisfied with who God made you to be. If you need prayer, individual prayer, the prayer team is up here. They will pray with you. Otherwise, I'm going to close. And uh, if you're not one of the several who will come down for prayer, then, then kind of make your way out into the foyer and say hi to somebody, encourage him in the Lord. Help to have a close relationship with them. So let's pray. Father, I thank you for the special calling you have put on men. I thank you, Lord, that we are in the middle of the battle, that we are essential to your purposes. So help us to step up. Help us to get to know you and have a real relationship with you and not just be posturing religious things. Help us, Lord, to be able to be strong, be courageous, be overcomers without pushing others down and flying into rages. And help us, Lord, to know who we are and to be content and satisfied with how you've made us. So, Lord, bless us and give us strength. Help us to walk in your ways. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.